What's up, Fight Fan? You are listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. It is Sunday, December 5th, 2021, and this week's episode, UFC 269, The Battle for Lightweight Supremacy. We'll be recapping the action in a very packed weekend of MMA, UFC Vegas 44 and Bellator 272, some big bantamweight action and bantamweight news. We'll talk about the latest in MMA news. There's been a lot going on in the two weeks since we've been away, so obviously we'll touch on the major headlines that have been happening. We'll talk about Triller, the emergence of triad combat, and, you know, some questionable matchmaking now that we are after the fact. And, of course, the title of the show will be breaking down UFC 269, the championship doubleheader, Charles Oliveira versus Dustin Poirier, and Amanda Nunes versus Juliana Pena. My name is Gabriel Gonzalez, and I'm here with my co-host, Natalie Zamudio. Hello, Double G. It's been a, it's been a while, two weeks, I guess, or, yeah, just about. Um, we got our Christmas tree today. It smells pretty piney over here. Uh, I'm excited. Gonna decorate it later, but uh, you got some exciting stuff coming up, right? You're heading out to, uh, to Vegas for UFC 269? Yes, so from our recording the day after tomorrow, so Tuesday, so I'm excited, you know, last pay-per-view, looks like we're going to have a pretty good card, top to bottom, so I'm excited. Uh, did you have a good holiday? Oh yeah, lots of turkey, as as I, I set up a, a month in advance, I ate a lot of pumpkin pie for like two days straight, uh, so I mean, I can't, compl- <laughs> I can't complain, that's all I wanted, is turkey and pumpkin pie, and I got it. What about you? My thing I know is, you guys keep it chill. My, keep my it thing chill. is when the eggnog goes on sale, I always get two cartons. Oh. Like if I it's like, oh, it's there. Oh, they have eggnog. Grab one. Then I'm like, I'll circle back around with the cart and grab another one just because <laughs> it's always gone too soon. It's too soon. The first yeah. the first one is like a big drink and then you can't help but go back for more. And it's so thick that, yeah, the carton gets empty fast oh yeah like uh, i'm blanking like it's i can visualize it i just can't see the words like the whatever uh, i'll text it to you but yeah <laughs> that the little eggnog like season's greetings or whatever they got the traditional and now they have a vanilla spice oh i go ham on it anyway in moderation but you know <laughs> of course moderation is a loose word when it's the holiday when it's the holidays let's work from saturday backwards so obviously the Bantamweights now get to enjoy their eggnog. So Rob <laughs> Font versus Jose Aldo, five rounds last night. You know what? That first round, I really thought Rob Font was going to get him. He was executing a great game plan, mixing it up, threatening with the takedowns. And really, even though that became a Jose Aldo fight, I was very impressed with Rob Font's grit. He was hurt. His eyes were swelling. Yes, Aldo's eye, it, it looked like it was close to being in some that red zone. But I want to give credit to Rob Font. He forced Jose Aldo to prove how good he is. He, he forced Jose Aldo to show some heart, to have to dig deep, to have to make something happen in those rounds. And credit to him, this is why he's a legend. It wasn't like the Pedro Munoz fight where he just kind of dialed in and got to showcase. We got to see him push himself, but I will say the Jose Aldo who got the job done there, he showed why he is still a championship level fighter. That was an absolutely impressive victory. What about you? 
Yeah, Jose Aldo definitely should celebrate with lots of eggnog, get, you know, bulk up a little bit because I know that weight cut can't be hard, can't be easy. Uh, Rob Font, yeah, I was thinking the same thing in round one. He's coming out aggressive. There's that long reach, uh, fast hands, and Jose Aldo didn't look like the Jose Aldo we've seen in the last couple of fights. Very aggressive, you know, pivoting at the hip. Uh, really nicely, he was a little bit, I don't say frozen, but he was, you know, a little stiff. And so I was nervous. I thought maybe Rob Font was too much for him. And it could have been at the beginning that that was the case, that Jose Aldo couldn't quite figure him out. But Aldo really, you know, digging deep is is the way to, 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 to define that performance by Jose Aldo. What he was able to do and capitalize on his power, you know, that one, two, man, that one, that, that two, that cross cracked Rob Font at least – once every round, maybe, and yeah. every time it was like a stunner. It was crazy. Now he he couldn't finish because Rob Font's too good and didn't give him the opportunity to land another hard blow. But you know, Jose Aldo was able to 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 make a lot of impact with that, and then capitalize on other moments and taking him to the ground and keeping him there. So Jose Aldo, I thought at the end of that was just like probably thinking, this is one of the toughest fights I've had in a long time. Because it's something else to be, you know, to, to, as you said, do a clinic like on Pedro Munoz. It's also something else to experience what he did with Piotr Jan, where, you know, you do it well at the beginning. And then it's kind of just like rinse and repeat of getting, getting out Fox. This time was, the danger was always there. Jose Aldo was ahead, but he always, you know, Rob Font was always just right there waiting to do something. And it was in round five after the corner advice from Rob Font team to you know you you, you got to do something crazy here to win when he came out rob font i thought oh oh this could be it because he was back to that round one performance fast sharp quick powerful and it kind of faded out and jose aldo was able to get back into the driver's seat so great great fight i think jose aldo is going to look at this fight and think like oh man i, I need a break i know he's he wants to fight he wants to be champion at 135 as we said in the interview but this was a this was a brutal one. So hopefully he he gets some rest over the holidays, and uh, you know whatever he gets next, he asked for Dillashaw. But whoever it is, hopefully it's not till April. I think he needs some time to recover. April May. Yeah, I, I think um, my biggest takeaway is Rob Font. I appreciate that he tried to get Jose down. This is one of those times I think people forget Jose Aldo's kind of like a cat. He just can't get the guy down. And I don't know if you remember the Chad Mendes fights or the Frankie Edgar fight. Um, and people talked about it. It's like Jose Aldo, for not being like this collegiate American wrestler, he is just so technically sound at staying on his feet, not getting really just pinned to the mat. And I think that you saw that. I think that there was a bit of frustration maybe. I think even Rob Font thought... I. I had him. I really thought I was going to get him down. And we haven't really seen guys really try to get Aldo off of his feet, which, you know, considering his style, probably isn't a bad idea, right? So I think that was very impressive to see that he is, he's still got it. I like that I saw the leg kicks out of him as the fight uh, went on, you know. Yes. Can you imagine if Jose Aldo really started just whipping those things again on top of his boxing, like he could just switch into the stances? I mean, I'm sorry, but there are times when I'm like, you're fighting so good and 
I know it's like a whole conspiracy theory. Why doesn't he throw him? And, you yeah. know, <laughs> the foot is, you know, he broke it years back. And did that make him more hesitant because he doesn't want to re-injure himself? I don't know. All I know is when you got guys like Poirier and Chandler throwing calf kicks, I'm like, Jose, just imagine. Bring him back. Don't go for the thigh. Don't go for like the Anderson Silva. Just keep them all right there. Those few inches of calf muscle where you're just connecting shin to the back of the foot, back of the leg, and boom. Anyway, um, you know, you, you just felt that because I'm like, man, that would change that fight so quick for him. And he didn't need it. Now, the swelling of the eye, uh, I will say that Jose Aldo got a little lucky. Um, I believe it was going, he won the first, th- he probably had to rally. You could argue Rob Font got round one, but even then Jose Aldo dropped him and hurt him really late. But round four, it looked like they might be getting tired. And what does Jose Aldo do? He gets probably the biggest break of the fight. He's able to connect on Font and he's able to get top position and stay there most of the round. I felt like that one was what secured the bag. It couldn't have happened at a better time. And I think even Rob Font at that point, that's where you probably saw a little bit of the... The wind kind of got out of his sails. Jose Aldo did the same thing pretty much in round five. Hurt some early. Is able to get out of there. Uh, or not early, you know. It was a little later, about midpoint of the fight. But uh, round. But you get my point. He got mm-hmm. the damage done and he was able to ride it out for the decision. So very impressive. I like the grid on both of them. I'm excited to see Rob Font back against somebody good. And Jose Aldo. You talked about it. You want to see him back in April. He said TJ Dillashaw. Here's my one thing about it. And I just talked about this earlier on another show. But um, I feel like if I'm TJ Dillashaw, I'm not entertaining anything until I know for sure they've put pen to paper for Aljo and Peter. Because I, I feel like the UFC is committed to that. We want a resolution with those two for the undisputed title. But once again, when you talk about with Aljamain and his neck, and I know he's recovering, and we see him at the apex. I also know that's because he lives in Vegas, but still, we're seeing him on TV a lot. Things are looking good. If there is any sort of hiccup, if there's any sort of, you know, it's feeling good, it's just not feeling championship level right, it's not feeling I can make it through five rounds okay, if there's any sort of hiccup, I know that in a second they're going to go Peter Jan, TJ Dillashaw. Yeah. Algermain could come back, fight the winner. Peter is always going to be there. TJ is going to be there. But they're just going to move on. So as much as I like stylistically, and I understand rankings and all that, Aldo versus TJ, I don't think that we're going to get close to that until TJ knows for sure that there's not going to be a, you know, that there's going to be a fight between Peter and Algermain. In which case, I will say, you have Dominic Cruz fighting Pedro Munoz this coming Saturday on the prelims. Former champion. He's been on a roll since he lost to Henry Cejudo. I think this would be win two or three in a row for Dominic since he came back. I think when you look at the big picture of Bantamweight, if the TJ Dillashaw fight doesn't happen for Aldo while he's waiting for a title shot, then I think uh, Dominic Cruz would actually be the best uh best option for him what about you Dominic Cruz for Jose Aldo yeah that's a good one that's a really good matchup 
it's a better matchup for Jose Aldo, but as far as, you know, gravitas with Dominic Cruz and Jose Aldo, both being former champions and legendary fighters. So, you know, the, the poster for that one's going to be pretty exciting. I like that one. I I can't or I disagree with you on the Dillashaw thing. So, you know, Cruz would never turn down a fight with Jose Aldo, uh, especially with the way Aldo's been going. And it's like, if that comes to pass, you, you better believe the winner of that fight will be up for the title next. Um, assuming Dillashaw's out of the picture for whatever reason, uh, because either because he had to go and, and fight or because he's just um, just come off a fight. So I like that a lot, actually. Pretty exciting. Yeah, I just think that TJ, and mind you, he's doing what I think a lot of us would be doing, and that's just simply, you know, I know I could have a title shot possibly. Why risk it at this stage of the game after the layoff? So, you know, until he knows for sure there's pen to paper and they're really set on a date for Aljo and Pewter, I would keep my options open if I were TJ. And I think that most likely that's what he's going to do rather than uh, I just want to stay busy. Sure, I'll fight Aldo. Big fight. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. It'd be a great fight also. But thinking about business-wise, I think that might get in the way of Jose Aldo's big plan. Um, Really, that card... I know that you know we're coming off the holiday, and I think people were already kind of ramping up toward 269 this week. But that had some pretty sick finishes. I mean, Rafael Faziv... With the back kick KO on oh, Brad. Yeah. By the way, very fun technical fight. That was, you had to understand that's some high level striking going. That was cool. Clay Guida almost gets knocked out, comes back to choke out Leonardo Santos. By the way, Clay Guida now somehow is 40 years old and still kicking butt. Chris Curtis, another upset, gets the big finish. Manel Cape, he got the KO. He's keeping flyweight very interesting. It was quite the night. What do you think? Yeah, Fiziev, that was I mean, he's he's since he's fallen into the, you know, the the bigger radar, he's always been exciting to watch. Uh this one was interesting at least according to commentators, you know, they have a history of training together, not best friends, right? That's what uh Yeah. <laughs> that's what Bisping said. Uh so it's interesting. It was a little bit like um, Ken and Ryu. You know, I make that comparison a lot, but but that's what it made me think of. Is you know, when you talk about the technical striking, they were kind of going tit for tat there. Um, but Fiziev is just the better, smoother uh, fighter, and the way he froze Riddell was was crazy. Like, it, you know, um, oh, I can't remember who the ref was, but it was McCarthy? No, it was uh, I thought it was, it's not her. Was it Mergliata? Maybe I don't know. Okay, I'm confused yeah. now. Yeah, but anyway. So whoever it was, they they actually did a good job because you could see for a moment there's a little hesitation, but Riddell was just like his eyes were looking down, and it wasn't until uh, Fazeev started coming up to him again, and then he kind of put his hand up, but his eyes were still not in the right direction. So that was a that was a, a really wicked wheel kick. It just got him right on the ear, and uh, ba bam, basically. Uh, yeah, Clay Guida, that one, you know. Could have been stopped, right? I think that's pretty fair to say in the first oh, round. Yeah. There are definitely opportunities there where you could have stopped that one, but uh, Clay Guida managed to to get the ref to to see enough in him to not stop it. And then uh, Leonardo was just completely gassed out, like just done. 
And uh, it was it was I appreciate the honesty of Clay Guida saying like I was hurt, man. Like I was really hurt in round one. And uh, you know he was happy 40th birthday coming up. He had that cool ring that you know seems like a a lot of fighters chipped in to to get for him. So he's having some a good time. It's one of those victories where you look at your career, you look at how you won the fight. It was a close one. You know, you look at your age and you think, you know, you could you could just go retire now. Like this would be a great way to just end it. Now he's not going to do that, but it's one of those moments where it just kind of ties everything together very nicely. Uh, last one I'll, I'll comment on uh, Chris Curtis. Yeah, man, that was that was pretty uh, that was pretty wicked. Another one of those uh, like. He set him up perfectly, body shot. And it's one of those sneaky punches that don't look like they landed very flush or very hard, but they catch him in just the right spot. And Allen went down. So that was a, that was a good one. And Brendan Allen's no joke, too. I mean, these yeah. are, th- those are some solid finishes for Curtis. And uh, correct, I know, I hope I'm not getting him confused. I feel like he was also a guy, like, he lost his contender series bout. And I think he said, you know, that's it. I'm going to retire. And... I think he'd had like a little PFL appearance or something, but I know it was a long way. And then he comes in, he gets the short notice fight and, you know, surprise, surprise, here we are. And so just great for him, you know, I mean, it's always really nice to see these guys. It always sucks that, look, someone has to lose. But for Chris Curtis, I mean, when you consider where he was at and now the year he's finished off with, it's impressive. Also, if I'm not mistaken... Including UFC, he's had like five or six fights this year. Just wild. Wow. That's yeah. He'd he, he been cashing those checks. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the action man getting a lot of action. Yeah. Um, As nice as that was, I got to say, it doesn't get much better than the finish for Sergio Pettis on Friday at Bellator. Mm-hmm. My word i gotta say it felt like I, I think we all knew what we were watching those first four rounds i mean kyoji's movement i mean i believe mauro ranallo said that sergio pettis only landed he, he was struggling to land more than 10 strikes each round yeah so in 15 minutes he's landed less than 30 punches and kyoji's just on a roll he's getting top position it looks like Pettis just can't seem to figure out how to walk him down and, you know, can't counter him. He's just, it, it was just a style nightmare, it looked like, for Sergio. And then he gets out there in the fourth round. He goes for the head kick. Kyoji clearly thought, he, he ducks, he clears it. He, he, he clearly thinks, okay, you know, avoided it. Hands mm-hmm. are all the way by his waist, and I, you guys have seen the clip by now. Just kabam, just like the that's what, Zombie Land, the double tap. Yeah, missed yeah. the first one, and boom! It was like I, I know I, I'll put money. You have never done this for some reason. Call of Duty, just like the when you snipe someone, that kill shot, just nothing needed. Uh, immediately went down. Immediately was unconscious. Ref got in there um you know what just unbelievable comeback of the year and i know we just saw clay guida i know spike carlisle was there um just comeback of the year uh, hands down in my opinion yeah that's fair because it was Sergio Perez was just getting owned like that was it you know he wasn't getting beat up he wasn't getting mauled but he was having zero success um and just like 
kind of stale, stagnating, right, in the cage. And so I'm not going to call it a lucky shot, but it made me think of, like, Korean Zombie, Yair Rodriguez, right? Korean Zombie was just beating him up, piecing him up. Yair Rodriguez, last second buzzer beater, ba-bam. And you're out cold, and now it's knockout of the year, you know, contender. So we're in a similar scenario here. And if I'm Kyoji Horiguchi, that's a bitter pill to swallow, man, because you're thinking I was beating him, I was owning him, but you got you got careless, and that happens. Think of um, Wonder Boy Thompson and Anthony Pettis. You know, same thing. Anthony Pettis was getting pieced up by Wonder Boy. You know, clocks winding down, jump. Uh, what is it? A Superman punch off the fence, and boom! Wonder Boy wakes up in the locker room and doesn't know how he got there. So, it's crazy stuff. MMA. That's why it's a great sport. Um, I don't know I, if you've seen it. I don't know how old the clip is, but someone found like Sergio Pettison training and he's doing the exact same thing, misses the <laughs> kick and follows up with the back fist. Yeah. So I'm like, you know what? Okay, full credit. You get he's it. been drilling that for his probably his whole life. <laughs> yeah. But um, look, look, that was fun. And obviously we knew the context. Bellator champion, Ryzen champion. If you look at Kyoji's record, I mean, it's something like I think almost 30 wins and just three losses, one of them being to Demetrius in a title yeah. fight. I mean, this is a this is a solid competitor who is not on... Uh, I know the criticism, you know, overseas in Asia and Japan and these, it's like how... Just how legit are the records every now and then? This is a guy who's come to the US and also done his thing. So that was just a solid victory for Sergio. And of course, it leads into the big news, which is that there's going to be the now Bantamweight Grand Prix next year. And that one really, when I looked at the roster that they were bringing, I was like, this is a really, really great uh, field that they have. I mean, so you got Sergio and Kyoji. You have Juan Archuleta who's up there. Rofion Stotts. I forget how many, but he's won a lot of fights in a row. And I think he also beat... Magomed Magomedov, who's like one of the only guys to beat Peter Jan. You have names like James Gallagher in there. Yeah. Patchy Mix, who um, uh, Juan Archuleta fought for the title earlier this year. Y- you've got a lot of good names in there. And, uh, you know, you put it all together. I think that there's a lot of fun matchups, the way you break down the, the rankings and everything. So I- I'm looking forward to it. What about you? Yeah, I was interested in general because the you know the the Bellator Grand Prix Grand Prix are exciting, but after the Sergio Pettis Kyoji Horiguchi fight, it's like just thinking about that and that these guys hopefully will face off against each other again. Like that's all the drama you need. You know, every time they do one of these, there's a there's a matchup everybody wants to see, and there's drama tied draw, tied to it. And this is the one here. Now you also have Juan Archuleta. And Sergio Pettis and Patchy Mix and Juan Archuleta. So there's a lot of story here. A lot of, um, you know, people wanting fighters wanting revenge. So this is a pretty solid one, man. It's a good one. I'm 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 looking forward to it. What I will say, just thinking about it, uh, Sergio and Kyoji are going to be in two opposite corners, like of the bracket. Yeah, like, yeah. The only way they meet is in the final. My point. Uh huh. I mean, I know this is getting ahead, and I know I certainly didn't break this down for you, but. I would hope that Sergio doesn't have any rematches. Like, I know he's fought Juan, and I, I believe, um, did he? No, he may not have fought Patchy, but it, I just want, like, Juan and Kyoji are on one end, 
I want to see Sergio have to fight guys like maybe Rofion Stotts, um, maybe Magomed, and then that way, you know, it, just new people for everybody. Like, I know they sometimes want to do the rematches, like we had a, a Bader in them. Mm-hmm. I'm ready for all brand new stuff at 135. What about you? Well, I can't argue with that, but I mean, I can't argue with that. Now, when the tournament starts and we start to see some other fighters shine. Maybe I'll change my mind. But right now, I'm just thinking, like, I want to see this rematch. And this Grand Prix is happening first and foremost before an opportunity for a separate rematch will. So I'm hoping that these two guys end up at the end there. But, you know, that's what's cool about these tournaments is you never know how it's going to end. Oh, it's going to be a tough one for either of them to get there. I'll tell you that right yeah, now. Yeah, that's true. Ooh, it's going to be rough. But, hey, that's what makes it fun. Um, I want to touch on it because I know at the end of the year it tends to be very UFC-centric, but um, that was the last event for Bellator in 2021. Um, so final thoughts. I mean, obviously they had... Um, I think that uh, of all of them, they kind of picked up steam later in the year. And I think a big part of that is obviously, look, when you're going up against UFC that has an event every week, it's sometimes hard to get the attention. I think that they had a couple of solid matchups. They got their champions active. You know, Giga Musasi competed. He had Chris Cyborg a few times. I think when the year is over, you'll probably say that the AJ McKee fight and then Fedor's Russia headliner, probably mm-hmm. the biggest highlights of their year. You know, I think my biggest takeaway from Bellator 2021, I, I guess... They just seem to get a little unlucky with some of the matchups. Like I, the the light heavyweight Grand Prix mm-hmm. comes to mind. Like, yeah. you know, obviously injuries got in the way of that one. Then uh, you you know big hype for Yoel Romero. Yoel Romero uh, comes up short in his uh, Bellator debut, and you know we know uh, he's been on a bit of a skid now. So it's like ah, uh, you know. Did it go all their way on paper like they planned it? No. But I do think that there's a lot of good stuff there. I mean, setting up for 2022 with AJ, with Vadim Nemkov. Are they in the sweepstakes for Kayla Harrison and Chris Cyborg there? there there's stuff to look forward to. But I will say, I, I do think some of their bigger shots that they had planned, they just didn't pan out. What about you? Yeah, that, that, that's... You know, that's no knock on them. That's just how it went. And it is what it is, right? You know, the UFC just has a bigger, a deeper roster and a bigger brand. And so there's opportunities to make up for fall, you know, big names that fall out of one fight or one card or whatever. You know, you can always make a story out of something else with the UFC roster. Beltor is is like very top heavy with their names. And then everybody else, you know, the good fighters and you know them, you've seen them fight, but it's not the same, you know. There's a sort of a middle class, uh, you know, a, a lean middle class at Bellator. And so when someone like Rumble, you know, falls out or Ural just has a has a poor performance, and those were the, the things that were making 2021 look so good for Bellator, it's disappointing for sure. And, you know, I don't think Scott Coker would deny that, but he's always very um, adept at, you know, spinning things in a, in a better direction. And so he would point out what you did, which is Fedor and AJ McKee, which were great wins, uh, great moments for Bellator. And then you just look to the future, right? So now you have this exciting win with Sergio Pettis. 
you have the bantamweight division and it's just it's just how it rolls along so yeah the the year wasn't what we thought it would be for bellator it's not what they wanted it to be but there were some highlights and that's all you can hope for in this sort of weird transition out of pandemic life Uh, i think that for me i hope that they get a couple of those matchups made so for example um Ked Zingano, I felt like Chris Cyborg, uh, the Sinead Kavanaugh fight in hindsight, it was kind of like, well, you know, would we have gotten more hyped had she fought Kat? I feel like it, and I know that that was the whole thing, it's like, well, where is she at with everything, but um, I think that's my first one, is that uh, I wanted to see that one. AJ McKee in 2022, um, you know what, uh... I just want an answer, really. I I feel like Bellator, you don't want him to rob the bank and then get away with it. But right now, it almost feels like he's already got one hand on the bag with that 45 tournament. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then the thing with Patricio. So what they do there, I'm interested to see. And then, yeah, I mean, everything we just discussed with the light heavyweights and the weights. I mean, will be good. Uh, Gago Musasi. How long can you keep the train going? You know, he's got the fight with Austin Vanderford most likely next year. So there's a lot of good stuff to look forward to. Yeah. Oh, Juliana Velasquez, Liz Carmuch. I really thought we'd get that one before the end of the year. I was a little surprised we didn't. So want to see her back. Let's talk about a lot of stuff that happened. So it wasn't any like, oh my gosh, this changed the game news. But we just had a lot of little stuff to talk about. So... Um, we could probably go in-depth more, but we have a lot. So probably the first one, Aspen Ladd wants to go back to 135, and she wants to fight Misha Tate. What do you think about that? Uh, as far as the weight thing, okay, you know, that's fine. She knows her body, you know, go to where you think you'll perform best and, and be able to make weight. Uh, fighting Misha Tate, that's a good fight for Aspen Ladd. I think Misha Tate should... <sighs> It's a tough, she's in a tough place, right? Because you're only two fights in and you're one and one and you're returned to the UFC. You don't want a super tune-up, but I think she needs a little bit more cage time before she faces uh, someone like Aspen Ladd. Now, I'm not saying that she couldn't win, but it's kind of like Michael Chandler where like you had this great debut and you're, you're really good, you're competitive, but it just, you know, things aren't didn't work out your way. And so I don't want... You know, Misha Tate to be one and two, and then at her age and and all that stuff, I I think it would derail her chances of, of getting a title shot. If she takes her time a little bit more, just one or two fights more, I think that'll be better for her just to get her, her you know, her cage juices flowing a little bit more, if that makes any sense. Um, so I, I will be honest, I'm a little concerned for Aspen at 135. Because uh, quite, and we kind of discussed this earlier in the year. It's just um, it looks like she has trouble making it. I know she's getting a little bit older. She's already one of the bigger uh, bantamweights there. So my big thing is like, for one, are you already having the fight before the fight to make thirty-five? Mm-hmm. Everyone does, but it just our eyes are telling us that it's probably harder on Aspen than many of the others, right? Yeah, that's the one thing, and um. It'll lead into our next news point, but uh, the fight with Misha Tate, I actually love it because they just have a very unique, very... Misha Tate made it personal. 
you know, like talking about her reaction to Aspen's yeah, corner. And, that's right, that's right. You know, she said, I think you cheated the, the weight cut also. And I was just like, She did go fighting. after her pretty hard. Somehow yeah. I managed to forget that, yeah. Them's fighting words, you know what I mean? And, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, Aspen, uh, she kind of stayed on brand and said, well, let's handle this like adults. And I'm like, ooh, <laughs> when's that happening? I want to see that. So that was, those are my thoughts there. Which uh, leads into it. Felicia Spencer announces her retirement. So um, she just said, uh, you know, I I always wanted to retire at about a certain time. I felt good and I could fight well, but just, you know, like I just am feeling that this is a this is where I want to, you know, step away from competition and everything. First off, I don't think she gets credit for how tough she is. I think a lot of people don't realize the kind of run she was on to get to the UFC from Invicta, from, you know, built from the ground up, submit Megan Anderson. So congratulations on everything in her career. I did immediately think, well, you know what we say about the women's featherweight division? (laughs) Yeah. Nothing. (laughs) Yeah. You know, so, I mean, long story short, if you bring Kayla Harrison, you're bringing her in to build it around her. And if you don't think she could do it, the, let's be honest, that's uh, more than the money. It's also got to be that commitment that it's like, look, you're essentially saying you're going to, you know, you're going to make this happen. Because tell me, I just know really, who do we got? And, you know, so look, and uh, this isn't a Felicia Spencer problem. This is a other people's problem. So... It's not Felicia's fault. She's doing her thing. And truth be told, she probably looked at the um, the landscape and said, hey, I, you know, are they going to give me a rematch with Amanda? Probably not. So what am I here for? Hoping that they are they hoping I lose and, you know, someone else can fight her at 145. I mean, I don't know, you know, and that's also not a fun place to be in if you're Felicia and. But that just seems like the box that she kind of got put into. So maybe she thought, um, this is about the time I wanted. I think the time is right. So, you know, would have loved for them to bring new girls for them. But that's just where we're at. What were your thoughts? I was um, a little bit surprised. But when I read her statement, I thought, okay, this is this sounds very sensible. You know, why keep taking... You know, she says, I have a tough chin, but I have a feeling that I'd keep fighting even if, uh, you know, it didn't really make sense, even if it wasn't like the right thing to do anymore. So, you know, call it now while you while you still have uh, all your faculties about you. So I like that. And if you think about the division, it's kind of like, OK, if what you're saying is probably true, right, that they wouldn't give her a shot at Nunes right away because she she already had one. Um, then what do you what are you there for just to get in fights with other people? that are kind of, you know, that, that, you know, it's a, it's another W for the record, but like, it's not going to lead to any kind of, you know, combat glory and you're getting punched in the head for what to maybe get back at Nunez, who's just going to punch you in the head again. And maybe you can win around, but probably not. And that's not a knock on Spencer. It's just that Nunez is still very far ahead of the 145 division. So, yeah, it's kind of like, what's the point? I did great things. I did, you know, I was in, a, I fought great legendary fighters. I fought in two 
you know, important promotions. How many other people get to do that, get to say that? Like, I'm a combat sports athlete, and I think I'm going to move on with my life. It's a smart move. She did the right thing. Now, however, I'm thinking my next thought was Kayla Harrison. I hope Kayla Harrison, um, you know, I thought, did Felicia Spencer, like, sort of do this uh, and just to make sure that, you know, poor Kayla Harrison didn't get stuck at the UFC with no one to fight? Like, is this timing at at any way... uh, an assist to Kayla Harrison? Probably not, but I do get me thinking like, okay, this kind of changes things, right? Because now there's not even a Felicia Spencer for Kayla Harrison to fight at the UFC. So, Kayla, uh, I'll be honest, before she was done with the tournament this year, she knew dang well if she goes to UFC, she will be fed Bantamweights. Yeah, yeah. She will be fighting girls who fight their best at 135, and are being asked by the UFC to move up to 45. It is not going to be another scenario. And I think she knew that. Going, I think Kayla knew that. And I think, you know, truth be told, Felicia probably knew that. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I'll be honest. Leah Letson, I think they said two or three years she'd been out. I think to a lot of people, she was not even on the board. I think that she was almost one of those people that they might have even forgotten was on the roster. Yeah, And, you know, and look, she's had a, a litany of issues keeping her out. That's not her fault. But when you look at 45, I think that's just a testament. People don't even know who's in it to no. look forward to. And that's that's the state of the game right now. It's but yeah, a weak um, state. <laughs> yeah, we could go we could go round and round on that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, to make it a little easier and a little faster, since we got a lot, uh, last two, Jan Blahovich versus Alexander Rakic, March 26. Yay or nay? Do we like it, or do we think that they should have gone with another matchup for Jan? I like it. I mean, it's, Jan's kind of like in the, uh, you know, it's not as clear-cut as the Valentina Shevchenko, but it's a little bit of like, just, you know, I'm ready to fight, so let's just go. Who's next? And, and so I like this fight. Uh, I do too, mostly because I feel like I think that the UFC kind of, you know, rode off Rockage like after the Tiago Santos performance. It wasn't that exciting. I get it. It was one of the more criticized fights um, in a while. And I feel like almost this is this is them saying we want to try to build Jan Blahovic back up rather than maybe something more favorable for Rockage or something that would lead to a title shot for Rockage. It still can, but I, I just felt like, you know, all of this is kind of evidence of Jiri Prohashka has nothing to worry about. He is definitely fighting next for the title. Mm-hmm. And then finally, the last one, uh, Kevin Holland to welterweight next year. He says he's dropping down. Uh, I will say, he, I know he's one of the smaller middleweights, but he's already so lean. So that was one thought. But personally, when I heard that, the first thing, Hamzat Chemaev. <laughs> Both of these go-getters, let's, let, someone needs these bragging rights. You know what I mean? That's the only fight I want to see. What about you? Yeah, that, that's right. These were the stars of uh, 2020, 2021. I can't remember now. But Yeah, 2020. I know. The, they all they've blended together, haven't they? Yeah, they sure have. Yeah, these were the guys, right, that were just like, yeah, I'll fight, I'll fight. And they were just like making, making a lot of waves for us uh, when we needed it, uh, you know, when MMA, UFC needed it. So... That's a super fine matchup. I I, I can't uh, I can't argue with that, you know. Um, and you know, Kevin Holland moving down. That when fighters move down, usually makes me a little nervous. But 
you know, I kind of get his reasoning. He was trying to bulk up for 185 and he couldn't do it. And it's just like, you know, <laughs> I think it makes sense to, 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 to go the other direction. And, you know, it could, it could, because he was always a little bit lean. So it makes sense. Yeah. Um, for me, uh, just like you said, it's just the one we want. I think it's about time. But yeah, so that's, uh, and mind you, we haven't even discussed Kevin Lee released from the UFC and he already says he's got offers. So it's going to be quite, I'm looking forward to the shakeup in early 2022 because we have a few things on the board, but it looks like people are looking to make some changes. And I really like that because I think that it's something to shake up the snow globe always helps out every now and then. Yeah. Speaking of which, after shaking up the business, people have some thoughts about their business. Triller put on Triad Combat, and while a bunch of those fights were competitive, people also felt like uh, there might have been um, a bit of risky business there. So for those who don't know, Triad Combat, think semi-boxing rules, not quite all of them smaller gloves and instead of a ring literally it's a triangle you know with ropes like boxing and you know obviously a deep corner but just you know create more excitement triller put this on coincidentally it happens the same night as teofimo lopez and george cambosos which triller was supposed to promote they lost too much money and essentially said we still haven't been able to promote this fight we're moving on so essentially, the fight they were going to have, they now competed against. Anyway, the big takeaway after Triad Combat, perfectly decent show, but it ends, you have Kubrat Pulev, one of the best heavyweights of the last few years, got the fight Anthony Joshua for the undisputed titles, and he just annihilates Frank Mir in the first round. To the point that I honestly thought we were about to have a Rocky Force situation, Natalie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so first off, thoughts on the finish before we talk about the business. Sure. Uh, the finish was, was brutal. Uh, that's like, you rarely see, you know, okay, we saw Brad Riddell a little bit with Fiziev, Uh But this was just 100 levels deeper than that, you know, where you kind of get frozen. Uh, Frank Mir was like dead on his feet. I mean, he was just on an, in another dimension. And Pulev, you know, he had his hands down. He was just kind of like, okay, do I need to hit you again? Hits him again. And Frank Mir is not in the room, bro. And it's it's scary. Um, you know, finally Mergliata jumps in. And I don't know who the comment was. It Mara Ronaldo. Somebody was saying like, Dan Mergliata, what are you doing? You know, like get in there. I mean. I have a little bit of a soft spot for Frank Mir because of, you know, seeing him fight in Bellator recently. And so, and seeing him like walking around, like, it, you know, when you see someone in person, it sort of changes things a little bit. And, you know, his daughter is also competing. And so I'm just thinking like, oh my God, his family. And it was a hard one to watch. Like putting Frank Mir as legendary as he is in a, tri- a triangle. And I'll get into that one with you in a little bit with someone like who live, like that's, that's really negligent, you know, promotional malpractice, right? I mean, yes. that's that's it right there. Oof. That's a great, I, I need to write that one down. Like, I know I've used it, but never in the fight business. <laughs> um, you know what? Uh, 
first off, like I said, I was frightened and I did hear Mergliata's explanation and I was just like, imagine if Pulev just rushed on Mir, like he's not stopping it, you know, Yeah. you know, you stop when they tell you to stop. I mean, uh, I'm very just glad the way it played out the way it did. No one got more seriously hurt, but my goodness, that is the most frightening standing but knocked out scene i've seen in a long time so that's where i'm at there for me and i don't want to discredit the undercard because the undercard was plenty fine by itself considering it's a new thing and what they were trying and how the guys and girls were matched up but to me i also couldn't help but notice this is like the second straight thriller main event after vander holyfield and vitor belfort that were like this one probably shouldn't have been happening. And I know Triller, look, they lost $10 million because they scheduled the Lopez-Cambosos fight twice. Both times it fell through. They're like, we put a bid of millions and then we've lost all this advertising money for fights that we never could put on on the date we advertised. And they're like, we're going to move away from that. But now I almost felt like you guys kind of just went all in, and I'm sorry, but these last two have me a little concerned, Natalie. And I just wanted your thoughts on that. I mean, is it just a matter of, you know, if you signed up, it's all good? Or, like, at what point are we saying, you know what, no, you really, you're putting people's lives in danger more so than your typical combat sports matchup? Yeah, it's entering freak show status here, you know, you think about like when Bellator started their resurgence with, um, oh boy, may he rest in peace, Kimbo Slice, mm-hmm. and they were doing like, and then they did the uh, Hoist Gracie and was it Shamrock? Ken Shamrock? Yep. I can't remember. They were doing those, right? People were criticizing them, but it was like it was it was there were there were fair matchups, right? Age with age, um, experience with experience, right? Like you know whether you were really good or not, you weren't with someone that was going to blow you out of the water, and you know. And, and and hurt you really badly. So they did it very delicately, even though they got criticized for it, and it helped them build the promotion to where it is now, where they could sign bigger names um, that could fight, that had legendary status, um, that were still competitive. Okay, this is turning, this thriller-like uh, um, strategy is, is not that, right? They're just putting a big name who's willing to fight another big name in the, in the ring, in the triangle, whatever the heck you want to call it together, right? Um, Evander Holyfield, Vitor Belfort, like, come on, guys. Like, the, you, you have to look at, at the record, the, the age, the, you know, the last time they fought successfully. These are things that Triller is not considering because they just want to make an exciting poster. And that's what happened here as well. Like, you can't put Frank Mir, God bless him for all his talents, in a, a, a darn triangle with someone like Kubrat Pulev. And I think there it sort of reeks of like desperation, trying to claw back fans however they can or to collect money however they can. And the gimmick of the triangle really, really like slaughters any like grain of legitimacy that was left. Because what the whose stupid idea was it to put people fighters in a triangle and like what what's the point what's the like combative like 
angle here like what is is there a history here we're like oh you know ancient times they used to fight in a triangle and this makes sense for whatever reason no you just wanted a gimmick another gimmick right so it's silly if you wanted you like the name triad combat for whatever reason just paint a triangle in the middle of a circle or in the middle of a square and that's it i, I think it just adds to the the, the clown freak showness of it all to put them in a triangle it's a little like demeaning you know because it's like you're not only are you are you fighting someone that's way above you or way below you but now you're not even in a cage or a ring you're in a triangle like what the heck is that am i fixating too much on the triangle i don't know you tell me i mean it could be worse it could be like diego sanchez trapped in the box <laughs> that tiny and, box and you want to escape the box i would pay to see that at least <laughs> yeah so here's my thing and i think and um I'll try to make it fast so we get to the good stuff. When you look at Triller and you think about how they kicked it off, Tyson, Roy Jones Jr. Okay, good. yeah, Ben Askren, uh, Jake Paul, completely figured, uh, completely saw the hook, and I think those two events by themselves, okay, we we see what they're doing, and it looks like they're panning out as a success. With the Lopez Cambosos loss, so okay, that probably would have been a decent. Uh, draw for boxing fans you know mm -hmm. people really want to see Teo after beating Lomachenko right okay you lose that one alright but then um, I've noticed like and we talked about this a little bit I don't know what pay-per-view sales were for Holyfield Belfort but yeah. just on the general buzz I'm 90% sure it didn't perform well right I'm 90% sure Mir Pulev didn't perform well now, the one thing I'll notice, what I understand is Triad Combat wasn't pay-per-view. It was more subscribe to fight.tv uh -huh. that has bare knuckles. I mean, bare knuckles are also uh, pay-per-view, but, you know, subscribe and you could get it for like two ninety nine. Okay. Okay. But still, I'm like, you're throwing all this money at Vitor, probably Anderson. Mir said he was getting paid. You got to imagine Pulev was getting paid. Mm -hmm. Mike Perry said Mike he was Perry. making, I think, quarter of a million. <laughs> I mean, at, at what point are you just putting all the chips in? You know, like you keep drawing from this big bag of money, right? Okay, fighters get paid. At what point does that money start to run out? Because I do wonder, like, are you... I feel like this has been a six month that they may not be getting their returns. And I think that that for me is like, well, really, what are we doing now? You brought it up, the gimmick thing. I, I think that's a fair thing to call it. I know they're going to have to throw big money at Rampage Jackson to fight Shannon Briggs. Um, probably got to throw money at Shannon also, to be fair. I mean, I don't know. But uh, people, when they talk about the production has gone down, things like that. Uh, I think that that's just something you can see with your eyes. And I don't know, maybe they feel like, hey, you know, we're going to sacrifice a little bit on the cost of production. And, you know, all right, so it's not a pay-per-view. So at least we don't take financial hits on it as much. But at the end of the day, I still watch that thinking, I don't know how this can last. Because at least before I felt like there's more of a route. Now I'm not so sure. So, and at the same time, uh, also, I'm sorry, but when I saw the Holyfield and the Pula and now Frank Mir, I'm like, 
I'm sorry, but I'm going to need, um, <clears throat> I just want to know they're getting cleared right medically. Because mm-hmm. th- that's, that's two in a row. And I understand it could happen to any show, coincidentally, two in a row. But when you talk about the context of Triller, I get a little nervous. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah, that's totally fair. I mean, that's, I mean, look, they couldn't get uh, Evander Holyfield licensed or say, you know, uh, licensed to fight in California, right? So they had to go to Florida. Some people in the in the fight world, you know, have the power to say no, we 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 won't take that fight. But there's other places where you can go, and so that's that's why Triller is still able to play make fights like this. Uh, there's no way they have they can survive. Just think about okay, what they're paying the fighters. What about the musical acts? Like, there's just no way they're throwing money at everybody. Trump, like, how much do you think they had to pay that guy? I, I just there's no way they can still have be around next year. I just don't see it because who's going to be willing to just give money, give money without a promise of a return? Like, they're going to have to throw way more money at fighters to make to bring people back to, to bring fans back to want to see their show again because like who's who's gonna want to watch you know frank mir fight again or in a triangle or evander or vitor like that's not enough like you can bring tyson back with somebody that's probably the only way to save it is to bring tyson back um, but it's got to be a good opponent, and then you have to do a proper card with it, uh, undercard. I mean, I, I'm not sure. I, I'm not even sure how much they really want to focus on boxing right now. So like, I, I wonder if they want to just stick to triad combat because they That's know silly. it's already right there. Because, you know, where are you going with Anderson or Vitor? I mean, are you are both of them contractually obligated to fight each other if they want to box next? I mean, or fight under Triller? I don't know. So I think that those are some, that's where my food for thought comes in. But yeah, seeing what I've seen now, I'm like, I really don't know where they go from here because I could see where they were at this time last year. Yeah. And they had a great kickoff. I'll, I'll mm-hmm. give them that. They had a great kickoff. But right now I'm like, we had some boxing that we felt like shouldn't have been happening. And we had some triad combating that, Shouldn't have been triad combating. <laughs> anyway. They shouldn't have tried the triad, double G. They shouldn't have triad that. <laughs> oh, I was right there. Darn it, you got it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, UFC 269, you want to start uh, co-main or the main first? Co-main, please. All right. Nice and easy. Amanda Nunes, 12 fights in a row. Uh, we I've talked to you about this number. Like six or seven guys are tied with 13, like in the UFC, 13 wins in a row. Guys like Demetrius, GSP, uh, Anderson has reached the mark. I think Max Holloway's up there. I need to check. I think Habib might have been there. And, you know, I think for Amanda, the real test is obviously, are you still dialed into an 11 like you were when you beat Cyborg, when you beat Megan Anderson? Holly Holm, after it's been a while, you've had a layoff, not your fault. Uh, we had the COVID, uh, she, she had COVID briefly, <laughs> and that canceled, I think, a week out, if you remember. Um, what was that, May? I want to say May or August. That's when the fight was supposed to happen. Uh-huh. But okay, so you have all that. 
is Amanda Nunes still going to show up like she did for those fights? After everything, we know she's a mom. That didn't matter for me, the Megan Anderson fight. Um, you know, like, was she distracted? Is she starting to think about slowing down and all this? The commitment. We haven't seen that sign yet. For Juliana Pena, beating Amanda, beating Valentina Shevchenko, beating Chris Cyborg, I don't care who you are anymore. It's going to be like Rocky Balboa beating Apollo Creed. More so for Juliana Pena. Uh-huh. And I'm not going to turn this into one of those sessions, but the numbers are what they are. She's been more inactive than active in the last few years. She's kind of split two and two, and uh, she kind of needed to rally back to get her victory that she needed in the last fight against Sarah McMahon. She's talked her way up. I think that this is one of those things that, like, it's all chips in. If it pays off, if Amanda gets reckless, obviously it's going to look like Chel Sonnen when he... Trash talked his way to almost beating Anderson Silva down. Yeah. It's going to be epic. We know what the flip side of the coin will probably look like. Um, what are your thoughts? Because obviously, I think we're probably going to have a very quick breakdown. <laughs> I'll break it down for you. Julia, with all respect, Juliana Pena doesn't stand a chance. And it's not because of who she is as a fighter. It's because of who Amanda Nunes is as a fighter. Nobody stands a chance right now. You know, because of her size, yeah, Kayla Harrison, I would say she does stand a chance. Because of her um, experience and her skills, Chris Cyborg, another shot at, at Nunes. She may not win, but she can at least make more of a fight out of it instead of getting knocked out in round one. Otherwise, nah. And that's just the way it is. Like, it's not a, it's not personal to the contenders. It's literally that you're just, you're in an era when Amanda Nunes is too good. She has power, she has reach, and that's it. Not not to dim, not to diminish her, what she has. I'm not saying that's all she has, but I'm saying that's all she needs. They're, they're just trying it. to play basketball with Michael Jordan's Chicago they're Bulls. Trying to play, they're, you know, it's, this is like a you know a eighth grade varsity basketball uh, with Michael Jordan. And, and okay, not, again, it's I'm not, not that bad. Calm down, <laughs> calm down. Hey, I mean, I, I know eighth grade varsity basketball championship team no, i'm just kidding um i was actually not kidding about that but uh okay it's not that bad fine but but come on now now we haven't seen juliana pena a whole lot in a lot of years uh and so yeah you said she talked her way into this okay fine but like even if nunez is only half interested in this fight she's gonna beat her and i bet you because of how pena talked uh you know junk about Nunez with the COVID thing that Nunez is like oh okay well now I'm definitely going to beat you because you know that that wasn't cool I don't think having a kid is going to take her energy away from you know distract her to such a degree that she can't go in there and still beat Juliana Pena now Juliana Pena has a, a strong jaw like it just it's just a good sized jaw that could help her with taking punches absorbing the power but ultimately I think she's going to get hurt by Nunez's hands and and uh, get finished. So I won't say how just yet, but Nunez is going to win. So I'll toss it back to you. Uh, so Amanda Nunez, very simple. Keep it at mid-range. We're, uh, look, conserve the energy. If you don't need to start ripping shots, don't do it. We kind of saw that against Megan Anderson. She got going early, kind of... Um, 
just ran away with it. Holly Holm picked her spots, Mm -hmm. still got the job done, found the shot she needed. Point being, don't expend all that energy if you don't need it. Um, Probably most importantly, pick your spots to sit down on the kicks or the big power shots. Because the biggest uh, thing that you predict for Juliana to try to do is change levels and get the fight to the ground. Yeah. I don't see Juliana Pena winning a big striking battle for 25 minutes or less. However, I do think that if we're going to talk about, okay, how could she honestly get the job done? You got to create chaos. You got to make Amanda Nunes feel like you are getting in there. You're probably going to have to step into the fire. You you know, they're there to fight, right? So mm-hmm. the fact is you go in knowing there's a great chance I'm probably going to eat a shot or two from a heavy hitter. Mm-hmm. This is going to be those moments where it's like, you know what, Juliana, you want to win this one. You're probably going to have to take a big shot or two because you're going to need Amanda Nunes to feel like she wants to throw those hands because that's going to be the best way to start working to try to get the fight to the mat. We just saw it with Rob Fawn and Jose Aldo. Did he just start shooting the blast double? No. Had to get in there, had to trade hands, had to push the issue. Then set it up that's where he started trying to mix it up with jose aldo didn't really get him down but i'm gonna give that credit to the takedown defense but the fact is that's what you are gonna have to do because if you are not the better striker you're gonna have to create a scenario like that where you're making your opponent uncomfortable that's a tall order that probably involves taking hits from someone who has knockout power in the women's bantamweight division but i think that after that if you get the fight to the ground, ground and pound, ground and pound, ground and pound, unless you have her stunned and almost finished, there's no reason you should try to risk losing the position to chase a submission. So, but from there, um, Amanda Nunes, first round TKO for the win. <laughs> That's exactly what I was going to say. We're on the same page, man. <laughs> After all that, I'll, I'll say this. Chaos is the right word for Juliana Pena because that's how she fights. And so if she does get Amanda Nunes down, her best shot is to go berserker with like a gorilla style ground and pound, which we've seen her do a lot, you know, where she uses both hands and she just kind of batters you. That's her only chance I see uh, for this fight. So, uh, yeah, I'm right there with you, man. Amanda Nunes, round one TKO. It's all she wrote. Talking about the lightweight division. Dustin Poirier, Charles Oliveira. I mean, we could probably be here for like another half hour talking about this one. Um, I've told you just the arsenal between the two of them. Uh, When I think about the culmination of the journey, I mean, when you look at Charles Oliveira, you think hypothetically beats Tony Ferguson, Michael Chandler, Dustin Poirier to prove he is the undisputed best lightweight in the world. Absolutely while for him after being up and down earlier in his UFC career. Mm-hmm. Dustin Poirier, ups and downs also, comes finally turns the corner, beats Justin Gaethje, beats Max Holloway, comes back from a loss, beats guys like, you know, Conor McGregor, back to back, and now could possibly beat Charles Oliveira to become the lightweight champion. Just very inspiring for both of them. But then someone's got to take that L. Mm-hmm. And so how do we get there? So I, I will say my biggest thing is going to be the physicality of Dustin Poirier. I think yeah, that's um, totally. on the feet. That's the biggest weapon because I think that all things uh, equal, Dustin Poirier's ability to 
get in and out. His uh, shot selection with the calf kicks on a taller guy like Charles, I think is going to play a major factor. I think that if you ask me which of the two is going to get him going, I favor Dustin Poirier. Charles is a very competent striker in his own right. And obviously it's more, you know, so he could set up to the ground game, but he's got that range. He doesn't make, he doesn't leave very many openings. And that's what makes him very difficult to deal with because of his size and his stature. So if you're Charles, you're probably going to have to let him rip a little bit, throw some kicks, mix it up. You don't want Dustin Poirier to feel like you're just trying to jab at him and he can calf kick, get out of the way, you know, get his volume working. You're going to have to really make Dustin Poirier weary of the shots coming back at him. Because if he gets going, we've seen it in fights like the Dan Hooker fight, like the Conor McGregor fights. He can really just dictate the tempo and really gets comfortable using all of his arsenal. On the ground, Dustin Poirier is a great grappler himself. Dustin Poirier has submission victories. You still have to deal with the all-time leader in submissions in the Uh UFC and Charles. I'm not saying Charles is going to get the submission, but I also don't think many people want to be under him, time to work. So I think that the big key is that if Charles gets on top, you've got to think if if there's enough time on the clock, he's probably winning that round, if not getting the finish. Dustin Poirier, if he wants to go to the ground, I will be shocked. But if he does, similar to Juliana, ground and pound all day, you don't want to start trying to roll and do all this stuff with Charles. What are your thoughts on the fight? Um, I, I, uh, I definitely see Dustin as, as having the size advantage. You know, physicality is a good word that you used. I think about how, how, it, how it worked for him against Conor McGregor. And Charles Oliveira, you know, he's lightweight, but he's got that just really lean physique. And he was able to outlast uh, to you know to overcome Michael Chandler's offense and and put him down I just don't see Charles Oliveira being able to put down Dustin Poirier with punches he can hurt him but not uh, not to the point where Dustin Poirier is gonna you know be TKO'd or KO'd I just do not see that happening Dustin Poirier is too slick Uh, you know he's got great head movement and footwork and Charles Oliveira I don't think has enough power to, to, to take Poirier down. On the flip side, I think Poirier definitely has the power and the skills to hurt Oliveira, you know, knock him down, keep him down with punches. Now, we talk about the ground game. Of course, Oliveira has the advantage there. Poirier's no slouch, and, and you know, his greatest challenge was, was, was uh, <laughs> I can't remember his name. Khabib. Now. Khabib. I was supposed to say Kamza. Khabib. I mean, Hamza um, would be pretty tough for him, too. Yeah, it would be pretty tough, too. <laughs> um, you know, but that's again it's sort of like this Nunez you know sphere where like okay well you couldn't hang with Khabib's grappling but that's Khabib now let's come down a little bit you know out of the out of the stratosphere here Charles Oliveira is an exceptional grappler and he has that record with submissions um that's a very dangerous place for Dustin to be I don't think he would get finished as quickly as he did with Khabib but it could happen and that's for me, Oliveira's best chance is is a submission on Dustin Poirier. Uh, but all that is to say, I still think the overall advantage goes to Dustin for size, power, strength, and and boxing skills. So I think it's going to be a win for Dustin. He's finally going to get that belt, the real one. 
And uh, I think he's going to be able to actually finish Charles Oliveira uh, round three TKO. Round three. You know, when I see it, when I break it down, I can see Dustin just calf kicks and working his boxing, picking his spots. I I, I can see that starting to hamper the mobility just because Charles isn't always a high volume striker. It's kind of like the the traffic's always got to be flowing his direction for him to get going on the feet, I think, in, in these bigger fights, right? That being said... I also think that Charles Oliveira is very well prepared for what Dustin Poirier is going to bring. I actually think that he's going to try to get the calf kicks going. And I think that he's actually going to wear on Dustin a little bit. I think that he's going to aim for the calf and clinch and grapple. I don't like it because a Charles Oliveira victory, good if it's a decision, it's most likely not going to be the most fun television. Just yeah. because I think he's going to have to do a lot of things technically sound and not so dynamic to stifle Dustin. But I do actually think that his ground game might just be what he needs to do. I think that his size also compared to Conor. I think people are forgetting Charles Oliveira is not Conor McGregor. This guy is in a completely different league at this point of the their careers right now. I think that he's going to use that size. I think he's going to really try to get in on Dustin, attack the legs, get this one to the ground. I'm going to give Dustin full credit, though, but I am going to go Charles Oliveira, fourth round submission. Oh, okay. Rear naked choke. Ah, okay. I said it. I (laughs) said it, Natalie. Y'all heard me. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I like gosh. it. I like it. I'm excited. No, I was just thinking about it. I'm like, what am I really going to see as I, you know, commit yeah. to the words? But yeah, that I've just felt Charles Oliveira from the beginning, to be quite honest with you. And look, it's a tough handful for both of them. I mean, Poirier has to fight another really good fight, too, when you talk about how good Charles can be. You know what I mean? So that's just where we're at. I mean, we got. I mean, we could talk about a lot. Dominic Cruz, Tai Tuivasa, the Sugar Show looks to add another gumball to the to the record. You know what I mean? Um, but next week, Natalie, final pair of events for the year. We have UFC Derek Lewis against Chris Dawkins. Fun stuff, and then a little guy who's. I'll say it. Breakout combat sports athlete of the year. Jake Paul taking on Tommy Fury. (laughs) Aren't you excited to talk about him again? Yeah, I mean, I'm excited to talk about it's, you know, it goes back to I'm not comparing him to Mayweather, but it makes me think of like anytime someone's going to find fight Mayweather, I was like, just excited to talk about how this other person could potentially beat Floyd Mayweather. Now, this instance, I think it's going to be pretty easy for Tommy Fury to beat Jake Paul. Uh, but yeah, we'll get into <laughs> we'll get into that one. I'm going to just say it right now. When you look at how much bigger Tommy Fury was than Anthony Taylor on the undercard mm-hmm. and the Jake Paul, and he couldn't knock him down. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, have you seen the way in photos of Tommy? Or like, have you seen a clip? No. That dude's got freaking his arm muscles have muscles. His <laughs> biceps have biceps. And I saw that fight, I'm like, bro, are there just no bullets in those guns? Come on, man. Are you kidding me? I think that is exactly the performance that gives a guy like Jake Paul confidence. 
But actually, as we know, you fight the fights for a reason. So how it plays out, we'll give that prediction next week. Until then, stay tuned. Follow me at Double G on TV. I'll be on location in Las Vegas. Have interviews coming. I'm at Media Day. I'm at weigh-ins. I'm at the fights. So go ahead and stay tuned for all the behind-the-scenes action. And until then, have a good one.